So when I was in high school, I had my mother for biology twice. That sounds like bad news, doesn't it? <laughs> um, my mother was the grade 10 biology teacher at my high school. She was also the AP biology teacher at my high school. So I had her twice for, for both of those. And um, none of my friends particularly were thinking I was getting an advantage by having my mother. My mother was such a tough teacher that they all felt sort of bad for me. <laughs> They're like, oh, wow, you're not going to get away with anything in that class, are you? It's going to be so tough. Now, my mom was much more relaxed in AP biology. So in that class, I would actually call her mom in that class. And because we were a smaller group, she would also do this thing. Like we couldn't just have like a free time or a social or kind of thing, even though we had longer class and we had a lot of time in that class. Um, so when we were going to have a fun time in AP biology, she would say, it's going to be a special lab. Nutrient procurement. You're going to study how to take nutrients and procure them as if you're some living organism. So she would make banana bread and we would have banana bread and have a great time. To this day, I still love banana bread. I could eat banana bread every day. Some of you know the song. I've even sung it. And those moments in that class are etched in my brain. They're very special moments. It's like the basketball player who was recently being interviewed about what he loved best about college ball. And he, he said, oh, it was the time we were eating together in the restaurants when we had been on the road. And he starts to weep as he talks about it. Because those were the moments of great, intense friendliness and fellowship, and they even meant more than playing the games and winning or losing. The time together at the table. The time together in fellowship. And then to remember it. There's a special thing that happens with remembering, right? Remembering. We, don't, we just run it together, remember. But remembering is a weird word. Remembering. I'll break it down for you. Re, we're going to do it again. Member, these people who were a participant in it, we're going to connect ourselves to it again. That's the ing. Remembering. So when I remember my father who has died, I'm reconnecting myself to him. I'm remembering and saying, we are members of the same family. And to this day, we are. For he passed from death to life when he died in Christ. And so when we come to the Lord's table, by the invitation of Jesus, which is the invitation we're going to consider, the invitation of Jesus to come to a table, to take, to eat, to drink, and to remember, 
we're actually entering into a really significant process. We're entering into a very sacred communion. It is something we do each week now. We've reinstituted our pre-COVID practice of sharing the Lord's Supper together and remembering together. Because there is a special grace offered to us in that process where we enter again into the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to his re-emergence again into the communion of God. Now, our participation in it by the Spirit and by this very specific act that Jesus invited us into. It's considered one of the two ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We've already read one of the passages that speaks of it, in Matthew 26, but we're going to read now in Matthew, or Luke, sorry, Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, 16 through 23, and then to 1 Corinthians 11. And the reason we're going to land in 1 Corinthians 11 is it's actually a summary of both the Matthew passage and the Luke passage, and we use it as our guide for the Lord's Supper every week here at Origin. So this is from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 16. Oh, let's actually begin a little earlier in that, if we can. Can you bump me up to verse um, 14? Thanks, Whitney. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine, on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And then from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. So there's five features that we need to keep in our mind when we think about the imagery of this invitation from Jesus. The table, the bread, the cup, the priests, and the king. You got it? The table, the bread, the cup, the priests, and the king. One more time. You ready? Do it with me. The table, the bread, the cup, the priests, and the king. So there's the table. Jesus is inviting them to a Passover table. He's inviting his, ta- his disciples, and he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, the way Jesus was speaking must have seemed so strange to them. But the invitation to the Passover meal was so familiar to them. For every year in most of these disciples' lives, they had likely celebrated the Passover in which they remembered the exodus of Israel from Egypt. They remembered the deliverance of Egypt from slavery, or Israel from slavery in Egypt. They reconnected themselves to the people of Israel that left, that were redeemed. The people of Israel who survived the coming of the angel of death. For they had gathered in that homes that night and had baked a bread that was prepared quickly so it hadn't been able to rise. It was unleavened. They ate quickly with just the herbs and spices that they had in the house. And they ate the lamb that had been sacrificed or cooked that night so that they could eat. But they had taken the blood of the lamb and they had painted the doorpost of the house. They didn't completely understand why. They had just followed the instructions of Moses that they needed to paint the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And when the angel of death passed over them, the angel of death would truly pass over. (laughs) 
And so they reconnect themselves with this story. How in the coming day, Pharaoh said, go, leave, go and worship, get away from us. And so they left. And they were delivered from slavery. They were delivered then into a life of discipleship and dependence upon God in which they had to relearn everything. But it started with the invitation to the table, to a meal. Now, the strange thing is, that fellowship meal was commanded before the deliverance had even happened. That day of celebration, that moment of celebration was commanded before it had even happened yet. And Jesus does the same thing on this night. He issues an invitation to a table for a celebration for something that isn't done yet. His people have not yet been delivered from death. His people have not yet been delivered from the consequences of shame. They have not been delivered from the consequences of sin, which is guilt and shame and fear and death. Isn't that amazing of Jesus? Do you hear in the invitation to the table the incredible confidence of Jesus in what he is about to do? In ordering the Passover celebration, he says, the time has come. It's time. We're going to do this thing. The confidence of Jesus when he says, I eagerly desire to eat this meal with you because I'm making an announcement. Do you ever been to an announcement party where they're announcing to you, hey, we got engaged Hey, I graduated. Hey, I've got a new job. Or maybe you've been one of those first paycheck dinners. You know, where a person got their first paycheck and they're like, I'm going to throw a dinner with it. And we're going to eat my first paycheck. None of you have been to one of those? The first paycheck dinner? Maybe it's you going to do that for your parents someday. Right? I see some familiar laughs up there. You know about this. So Jesus is so excited because he's making an announcement to them, but he's tempered it down because he knows they can't actually get it. And there's actually some sobriety in this moment. There's some somberness. That's the table. We must have an awareness when we come to the table of who has invited us. This is why Paul says, you've come to this table and you must examine yourself. You must be aware of the body of Jesus. You must be aware that this table is also like an altar on which Jesus has been laid, body and blood. His life is on it. And he's invited you to that kind of table. So have some awareness, some cognition, some recognition. That's the table. The second is the bread. Bread. Nice hot dog bun here. Any kind of bread. It's, it's not about, you know, what kind of bread is it. It's that the bread symbolizes in this moment the body of Jesus. Notice he says, um, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took it. He gave thanks for it. He broke it. And then he shared it among them. This is my body. Do you know when I think of bread, bread is a necessity of life. You know, maybe in China he would have used rice cakes and said this is the rice of life. But in this setting, it's all about the bread. And in Middle East culture, it's all about the bread. My heart breaks when I read of situations in Gaza and Syria and other places where it says the people cannot get bread. For that is the greatest description of a famine in the land, of a crisis in that place. The people cannot get bread. The last time that I was in Athens, Greece, and talking with some of the leaders there, they were talking about the high price of things. And one of them said, but at least we can still get a loaf of bread for a dollar. Because it speaks to life. Do you know where you can get a loaf of bread for a dollar? At the superstore. Still, they have a beautiful loaf of bread for a dollar. Now, I don't know if that's a loss or if it's just symbolic, but for me, every time I look at it and I say, oh, look, Jesus, there's enough in this world. They can still sell bread for a dollar in this city. Unbelievable. But when Jesus says, this is my body, he's taking the bread of the Passover meal and he's redefining it, giving it new meaning in that moment. Jesus had spoken prophetically about this in John chapter 6. Early in his ministry, in Capernaum even, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then again, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus knew the word. He knew the word says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here Jesus grabs hold of that and says, you know, I am the bread that doesn't go moldy. I am the bread that doesn't go bad. I am the bread that doesn't go stale. I am the living bread of heaven that has come down for you. And everyone who eats of me, who partakes of me, will have eternal life. It also reminds us that Jesus had a body. We're not talking about some ghost that walked on the earth. We're talking about God himself who inhabited flesh and had a body. That the Son of Man had a body. And that in that body, Jesus experienced all of the vulnerabilities of life that you and I do. Even at the cross, Jesus would speak to these, I thirst. Jesus knew the suffering and vulnerabilities of our body in this world and what it is for that body to come under violence, to come under the powers of death. 
He knows. He knew it. And so I'm reminded when I take this bread of the one who offers me life, who didn't somehow live separate from this world, but entered into it completely from birth to death. Jesus says of his body, and the psalmist speaks of it, and the writer of Hebrews spoke of it again, saying to God, a body you have prepared for me, sacrifice and offerings you did not want, but a body you have prepared for me, so I come to you and I say, I'm here to do your will. And so, when I take the bread, I remember this is the body of one who did the will of God, who was obedient to God, even to death on a cross. And then we consider the cup. For the cup. The cup reminds us of the blood of Jesus. The wine or the grape juice, whatever you have in it, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant in my blood. When Jesus spoke of a new covenant in his blood, he's reaching back into the Old Testament to gather up this work of God to over and over and over make covenants and moves in which he would seek to redeem people. He made one with Abraham. He made one with Moses. He made one, well, he also made one with Noah. He made one with David. And ultimately, Jesus himself comes making the new covenant of God. And the new covenant is a promise of forgiveness. It's spoken of prophetically in the Old Testament in a couple places. I want to read you one of them in Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah 31, it's talking about generations that have been influenced by the sins of their ancestors. That the the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You know, it's like if I ate the the tangiest lemon possible, can you imagine? And I just (sighs) sucked into that lemon. But your teeth were set on edge because I did that. And, And so in this passage, it's speaking of this just progressive nature of how our culture and our societies and our families tends to just pass along a pattern of sin, a way of emotionally being and relating that always moves towards independence from God rather than dependence on him. And so then it just says, hey, a new day is coming. Jeremiah is like a new day is coming. This is a great word from Jeremiah because Jeremiah is either speaking badly to people about what's coming or he's crying. So this is amazing here where Jeremiah gets really excited in giving the word of the Lord. The day is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. When Jesus used this phrase, new covenant, this is what he's talking about. A time in which the generations and a generation can be set free and move into the relationship with him and be forgiven of their sin. And so when we remember the cup, or take the cup, we remember Jesus and his blood poured out for us as a life offering, as a blood sacrifice. And there's just so much depth to this that we don't even have time to go there. This is a great study in and of itself to go study the significance of blood and the life. But by his wounds we are healed, and by his blood we are forgiven. And so we said there were five things. What was the first? The table, the bread, the cup, and the priests. Well, that's weird. The priests. Where are the priests in the picture? Well, I'm making a theological move for us to try to understand what Jesus is doing when he takes that bread and he says, divide it among yourselves. When he takes that cup and he says, share this among yourselves. Jesus gave it to the disciples and let them pass it around the table where each one of them became an agent that would be conveying the grace of God. Each one of them became a steward of what had been entrusted to them to pass it along. And in Baptist tradition, we love to talk of the priesthood of the believers. And we see it in the Lord's Supper Jesus didn't come to every disciple and break the bread and say, ah, and give it to them. I'm I'm not trying to speak lowly of the traditions of other churches, but I want to speak highly of our own tradition. And our own tradition is that Jesus took that bread and he broke it and he gave it then to the disciples to share with each other that he took that cup and he gave it to the disciples and said, share it among each other. And so that's how we tend to approach the Lord's Supper ourselves, is that we take the word in 1 Peter chapter 2, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that the prophetic word of God in the Old Testament, that God would raise up a people who would be a kingdom of priests, we have now become. That we are conveyors of this grace that we have only received. It didn't start with us. It must not end with us. We pass it on. 
And so we have a few people come and take a tray, and they carry the tray back to you. And as you pass it along, you become participants in this work, this priestly work of God in the church, where the priest has done the work, and we get to pass it on. And we serve each other. And so I consider it very significant when I lift or anyone lifts this off the table and shares it with another and it's carried then and I sometimes look out of the corner of my eye to see, how's it being passed along? Like, are you passing this? And are you actually cognizant of the person you're serving? If you weren't, Be so now that I am serving you. I'm passing along to you this symbol that's evidence of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. I'm serving you. This is a great moment where we get to speak of Jesus, our treasure, in the blood and in the body of Christ. The table, the bread, the cup, and the priest. Look around. The priests, they're here. They're here. The only unseen picture, the only unseen image in this is the king. The king. King Jesus is the unseen participant in this moment. You, you might Think, well, is he in the bread and in the cup? That's a debate for theologians and other churches and traditions. But Jesus himself, when he inaugurated this meal, said, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of this cup, of the fruit of the vine, until I share it with you in my kingdom. Huh. So now we we look back, but we also look forward. Because Jesus is present with us in the Spirit, but he is also the king who's awaiting for us and preparing a table to which he's inviting us. The table of tables for the ages. When every tribe and nation and people will be present before him at his table in the new kingdom. And so we look forward to that. In fact, we might even get excited and say, come Lord Jesus, come. So we're going to do this thing. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to let all of these pieces be part of life for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to invite the Lord's Supper crew to to start to distribute this and share it. You're going to be the priests in this moment. Let's stand together. Thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup. 
And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The scripture says that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Family gathering, right? The generations together. Uh, we feel like our little holy moment got interrupted there. But it's not. It's not. There you hear and see the generation coming that the Lord wants to include and bless. And he wants to include you now. So maybe in this service today, you've been like, I really need to settle my relationship with Jesus. And I'd love if someone would pray with me. So I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down to each side here. I think Irene's on the move and Helena is on the move. Do I have anyone else, Irene, today? Just the two of you? Oh, Io, there in the back. Okay, Io's there. Thank you, Io. They're available for prayer. And maybe there's just something else, too, where you realize, hey, I'm coming to this table that's open, but I've got this lingering guilt issue going. Hey. Don't leave without letting someone pray with you about that. Oh, I've got this lingering thing that I'm really ashamed about. I'd love to be delivered from it. The Lord would love to deliver you from it, okay? And so come and start that journey of deliverance and having some prayer today. Oh, I've got this thing in my life, and I think it's me, but it's not me. I need to be healed. I want some healing in my life. Come and ask for healing, okay? We have fantastic prayer teams that are available for you, okay? So don't leave without getting someone to pray with you today. Uh, We want to give a blessing to each other, so if you would, reach over and put a hand on the shoulder someone. It's a very real sense of presence and our blessing. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body Be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.